the Making Sense of Life podcast number 46. According to J.K. Rowling, life is difficult and complicated and beyond anyone's total control. The humility to know that will enable you to survive its vicissitudes. The Making Sense of Life podcast will not only empower you to navigate through a fast-changing world, but also to grow in body, mind and spirit. Inward change precedes outer transformation. As the ancient Greek author Plutarch once said, what we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. This podcast is sponsored by Logos Medical Legal. Sunil also works privately with senior leaders. Go to drsunil.com forward slash corporate to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Making Sense of Life podcast with me, Sunil Raheja. As we look at making sense of life in what is an increasingly challenging and complex world. We're continuing our conversation with Andy Parnham and his book, Lasting Happiness, In Search of Deeper Meaning and Fulfillment. And we've talked about how, if you listen to the the previous podcasts, how so much of our in our world is about finding happiness in things that are relatively superficial, in in health, in wealth, in just happiness in in terms of getting what I want uh, in, in my way, in my terms, particularly for material things. But actually, lasting happiness is found from relationships and from um, fulfillment uh, as well as from finding meaning and purpose in our lives. So Andy, it's great to continue this conversation with you. Um, and I think we're going to talk about the area of longing, which you, which you talk about in your book. But longing is such a fascinating subject because we all know that we get what we want in life. Maybe we um, have a good degree of health and even material prosperity maybe we have good relationships we feel that we've got a meaning and purpose um in we're doing our duty or doing doing the things that we we feel accomplished in and good at but still there is longing and there's a sense of wanting more tell us more about that and, and, and why you've included it in the book well if we go back to that original diagram you remember the circle with a line down the middle well on the left health wealth and happiness pleasure on the right relationships meaning and fulfillment we thought about that we unpacked that a little bit we talked about how uh, the ones on the left are very very visible they're very explicit they're quite tangible often they're quite material health wealth and pleasure really are to do with the material domain and they satisfied our our wants if you like and our needs whereas you move over to the right hand side relationships and meaning in particular they're not quite so materially tangible. So our relationship with another person goes deeper than just the skin, as it were. And when we get to meaning, we've thought about that last time, that actually is something implicit there. It's a key word, I think, implicit as opposed to explicit. And I had to give examples to try and explain certainly my understanding of what meaning's about, because it isn't obvious. We, and sometimes we we sometimes talk about a hidden meaning mm. and something that looks obvious, like a word, like father, or a gesture, like a tut, nodding head, actually can mean very different things. So the meaning turns out to be mm, a bit more tricky than the apparently explicit, obvious thing. And life's like that, that isn't it? Yeah. And so one of these things is this issue for longing for more, as you say, or an ache 
that won't go away. And we sense that, that there's something more to this life, something more than just getting what I want. Because when I get what I want, I still have this longing for something else. And somebody who's who's explained this or defined it quite well is the writer C.S. Lewis. He says, talking about longing, he says, each person possesses a deep and intense yearning which no object or experience can fully satisfy. And he, he defines that as joy. And I love this, this definition. He says, joy is an unsatisfied desire which is itself more desirable than any satisfaction. So having it doesn't fulfill, but not having it, having... Having it and not fulfilled is better than having your longing fulfilled, which is a strange way to put it. In comparing that to a want, which is a clear, purposeful and urgent that's driven by the will. So I want this. I want an ice cream, so I have it. And then that's that. But it, it, it can't be finished. So, yeah, this, this whole is about longing. Is, is a, the focus is not on ourselves, but something or someone that occupies our view, but lies beyond our grasp of control. We're drawn after something, but can't quite reach it. Can you expand on that and maybe give us some examples? Well, let me take you back to that diagram that I was saying just now. Um, and looking at the right-hand side, those relationships, meaning by their nature, they're not so explicit and tangible as the things on the left. And you can it's yeah. not difficult to try and understand what health yeah. and wealth are about. Yeah, I, I can get my car and I can have a, big, uh, kind of a fit physical body. But when it comes to these other things, the more uh, intangible it is, the less materially explicit it is and graspable, then the more we enter territory that we're not in control of. So you could say that the stuff on the left, being instrumental and all the rest of it very explicit, they're, um, they're kind of like tools, and tools help you to be in control. Language is like that. And perhaps we'll think about that. But they're pointing to something else in, in a sense. The, the tools are there for a purpose. If you've got gardening tools, they're there to do something. So these tools, yeah, they're pointing to, to some higher and greater reality. So there you go. So the stuff on the left are a means to an end. And like you say, they're pointing to After all, why do we use language? We use language to communicate. Why do we want to communicate? Because there's stuff that is within us about which we feel something that we want to get across the other person. So we need those instruments. We need those tools. But they are not the thing itself. Yes. Language is a, is a servant to yes. serve our ends. So I think you, you, you've given an example of, of listening to a song. We've all had this. There's a particular song you listen to and suddenly you find yourself transported a way to somewhere which you can't quite define, but it maybe it brings tears to your eyes. Maybe it, it it creates a huge, strong sense of emotion welling up within you. You know, the, the hair on the back of your neck stands up. The goosebumps come up. What is that? Well, we, if we've got time in this podcast, um, we'll think of some of the... Um, the reasons that have to do with the brain because there's very particular things that we can say about them. But let's just stick with the thing itself for a minute. Uh, it, it seems there are to it seems that there are two ways of perceiving the world, two ways of engaging with the world. One is that left hand side stuff, and that is um, ways in which we as humans are very very good at getting hold of things. We grasp. Uh, interestingly, we grasp with our right hand, even if we're left-handed. And so there's a, there's a way of grasping, and language helps us to do that. Health and wealth enable. Money is an, a way that enable. These are enabling things. They're means and tools. They're instrumental things. 
But the whole point of having, like you said, having a tool or an instrument and a means is to convey what your end is. And when we, when we get into the territory, this right, what I'm calling the right-hand territory, meaning and relationship, the less explicit stuff, then we begin to engage with senses, experiences, hopes and dreams that are not nearly so easy to grasp and to control and to get you know completely define you're entering territory that we all experience but for a westerner is quite tricky territory because we're engaging with issues and experiences and hopes and dreams that aren't dependent on my ability to get hold of them yes i can connect with them but i connect them in this other second very different kind of way where i am receiving rather than controlling where i'm connecting rather than getting a handle on and that's where language becomes quite hard to explain but the writer c.s lewis i think has conveyed this better than i think almost anybody and just a quote from from him he's and as you listen to this i think it you, you you may well find yourself resonating with what he's saying he says the books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them it was not in them it only came through them and what came through them was longing. There's that word again, longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they will turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. Almost our whole education has been directed to silencing this shy, persistent inner voice. And yet it is a remarkable thing that that they bear reluctant witness to the truth that our real goal is elsewhere. Do what they will then, we remain conscious of a desire which no natural happiness will satisfy. Here then is the desire, still, still wandering and uncertain, of its object and still largely unable to see that object in the direction where it really lies. It's quite deep stuff, quite mm. profound stuff. But this issue that we get what you want and even, you know, good things, and we're not talking about material things necessarily, not necessarily, you know, getting the car you always wanted or getting that amount of money in your background. But, you know, enjoying music, enjoying poetry, being with loved ones, having a, a, a satisfying evening with, with the people that, that, that you know and love and care about. And yet they're still longing. Well, I think one of the things a language is, is very important is words are very important. One of the ways in which we can distinguish between one way and the other, that left-hand side versus that right that I'm talking about, is to use these words wanting versus longing. So when I want something, it has to do with something my own volition. I want to get hold of it. I want a better job. Yeah. Volition being my free will, yeah. I want better clothes. I want this. That's very much on that other left-hand side. But when I long for something, I'm certainly not in control. In fact, I'm not even 100% sure what it is I, I'm looking for. But it's touching into a part of my being, if you like, um, that rests not on my capabilities at all, actually, but on my openness to open, willingness to open up to that which is other than me and it's interesting c.s lewis who you talked about if you ever get the chance to read um his autobiography um surprised by joy it's it's talking about this in fact he says from a childhood he had this 
sense of longing. He, he was brought up in, in Northern Ireland. He looked towards the hills and the difference. And he experienced as a small child an intense longing evoked by these mysterious, mysterious mystical things. And he had three childhood experiences um, when he, for example, he was in the uh, garden and he was overwhelmed from nowhere of a sensation of a feeling of um, of of nature, of, of summer, of spring, I think it was. And it came and it went. He wasn't in control of it. It just hit him. And I give the example in the book that I'm doing the ironing um, in my front room. There's nothing very dramatic about that or mysterious about that. And I'm listening to this piece of music and it's a very... Uh, evocative is a very moving piece of music and before I know I'm sobbing my eyes out now I'm not particularly given to tears but music can have a very powerful impact on me and I think it can on many people because it is tapping into that part of us like relationships and meaning do and so on where I'm not the one controlling but I'm connecting like Lewis helps us to understand with something that is other perhaps bigger beyond and of course it finds all kinds of expressions yeah and it's also incredibly mysterious because on one level that music is just sound waves vibrating hitting your eardrum but it's doing something which is pointing to something greater and deeper and more mysterious and yet it's interesting i think you and i I can certainly identify with it as well i think um there's a a video on 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 drneil.com called just as i am which is about my own personal journey of faith and one of the things I talk about on that is this sense of longing for my true home and being brought up in the UK, longing for India where I was born, but then going to India and not finding it there and then longing back for England again. Um, and then realising later on that, that my true home is not really on this earth, as again, with, 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 the, with the C.S. Lewis quote that we had earlier on, longing for a country that we've not yet visited. Um, so these are, these are rich and, and deep things that make, that make life meaningful for us. Uh, and point to some greater reality. And what's fascinating, I think, as well, that comes out from your book, is that a lot of this is also earthed in neuroscience and the way that our brains are wired, uh, and the left brain and the right brain. So just give us maybe a short summary of that. Um, And that's not too technical as well. You remember I, I said just now that there seem to be two ways in which we engage with the world we perceive we pay we pay attention to one is this um where i'm the focus of things and it's things that pertain to me that's that left hand side Uh, whereas the other one is where i'm open and i'm not in control and there's a degree of ambivalency in fact i I can't get grasp it and it turns out that in in the last 50 years the um, the neuroscientists have shown us that that actually has its foundation in the two halves of our brain the left uh, cerebral hemisphere and the right call it left brain right brain for um for short if you like and although a lot of popularized stuff has uh, been very unhelpfully um, built on that. The science is very clear and it does appear that this brain, which is in two halves, the left and the right, um, they process things, pay attention to things very differently. Just very briefly, just give a a quick introduction to that. Um, On the one hand, picture yourself or picture a bird 
that's looking at the ground and it sees this kind of gritty stuff and, and it needs to know whether that's food or not. And so part of its attention needs to be able to discern and judge what is what because its survival depends on it. And so that's a kind of narrow, focused attention that is necessary for survival. And it's very me-orientated. If I don't eat that, I will die, etc., etc. And so that part of our brain, it turns out to be the left side of the brain, is focused very much on control, grasping, with a focus on me and survival. On the other hand, that bird is going to become somebody else's breakfast if they're not aware of what's going on around them. That is kind of a much more broad, um, wide attention, not so much focusing on me and my needs, but rather others. Are they friend? Are they foe? Uh, Etc. Now, as far as humans are concerned, that's developed even more to the extent that we are an amazingly social um organism and uh, we don't function well unless we're in good connection well that's what we've hinted at already so the right side of the brain which incidentally has no cannot um, perceive things logically uh, has no language or no speech and cannot even process things in a straight line. That's all what the left brain does. And so the left brain is very good at narrow focused attention, meeting my needs, whereas the right is very different. It, it is more, uh, so the left is cognitive, it's kind of thoughts and analysts, analyzing and logical, whereas the right, everything at the moment, experiencing in the moment, but the only bit that really connects with the real world outside. That's an extraordinary difference and is the basis of, uh, and, and certainly the diagram that I'm doing, actually describes how things function on the left, health, wealth, happiness, pleasure, and on the right, relationships, meaning. So it equates to how our brain works. And that's fascinating because obviously we live in a world that's very dominated by the left brain thinking rather than the more right brain, which appears much softer and more nebulous and esoteric and, and ambiguous. And I'm just sort of, I, th I sort of think of Jesus' words is that man does not live by bread alone. Uh, and then he goes about by every word that God speaks. And the point being there, I think, is that those material things which we think will bring us happiness can, as we've said, if we're starving, uh, we're completely lack. Yes, they will do. But there reaches a threshold beyond which more of the same does not satisfy. And we're left with longing for something more and and I think that's in a sense where so many of our societal problems come from, because we're looking for something more. Going back to this issue of longing, you talk about longing for a person, a place, a people, a longing for home. It's all pointing to a sense that we're we're made not just for this world, but but for somewhere else. Well, you've said a lot of things there, haven't you? Uh, I'll just pick up on one of them, really. And uh, um when I said about the left and the right, um, the thing about the the way the right brain perceives and processes and pays attention to is that rather than homing in on something that I'm going to uh, make sure I've got a grip on, it doesn't worry about that. It, in fact, it doesn't even have the language. It understands meaning, but doesn't have the words to say. And what it does is it connects um, emotionally and experientially. One example of that is a newborn baby up till toddlerhood, the first 18 months. Its right brain is the, is the bit that functions much more in a developed way than the left. It doesn't have any speech. 
But what it does, it connects. You see babies looking at their mum's face and the mum looking back at them. And the people who know about these things say that's a right brain to right brain connection where the left brain is playing relatively little part in it. And we read each other's faces, especially the eyes, with our right brain understanding. In fact, some... Uh, they've done studies on people with strokes and they found that people who've had a stroke in such a way that their right brain isn't functioning very well um, is uh, sometimes look around at people and they're seeing people making eye contact and they're going, so what's all this with the eyes then? Yeah. And so we, we read meaning, emotion, expression, connection. The right brain is all about connecting with real people. And for my understanding that means that uh shall we say something that is sympathetic to a right brain understanding of the world <laughs> as opposed to the very left brain constructivist approach that we live amongst where the dominant narrative is, is where we are in control actually that leaves open rather like c.s lewis was saying um a world view an understanding and appreciation of the world where i'm not the only one in control, and that which lies way beyond me is uh, perhaps able to engage with that. That leaves open a worldview which is not closed and materialistic, where only material atoms and energy uh, are at play. We can see that the worldviews themselves are connected yeah. in that way of thinking. Okay, so this is fascinating stuff. So in terms of the fact that we are made for a relationship and as we've alluded to before is that we've I think Augustine's quote he says that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee and the fact that we are made for a relationship with God and connection with him and that's what that longing is about I think we would say as, as disciples of Christ um, how can we bring this all together in terms of what does that mean practically I'm getting very left brain here now um, we have these longings do you have any suggestions or thoughts in terms of how do we tie that together? Because we need to live with a sense of, of longing in this world, a realisation that I'm not going to get all my desires and, and wants, well, I'm not going to get what I really need met. There will always be longing in this life. Um, and, you know, we, we, people talk about 101 things to do before you, you die kind of thing and get all these experiences, make sure you do all these things before you die. Um, but I think what you're saying in this issue about this ache that never goes away, that we're made for something much deeper and richer and we don't have to have all our investments, as it were, in this in this world. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, there's loads to say on that. Let me just give you one more C.S. Lewis quote on it. Remember I said about the right and left hemispheres and how we pay attention and perceive the world. It's interesting. He wrote these words that I'm going to read out now. Years before they made any of these brain discoveries, uh, and certainly he wasn't a scientist anyway, but he said this, the two hemispheres of my mind, speaking about before he um, made discoveries in these ways, the two hemispheres of my mind were in the sharpest contrast. On the one side, a many island sea of poetry and myth. On the other, a glib and shallow national, uh, rationalism, sorry, not nationalism, rationalism. Nearly all, he said, that I loved, I believed to be imaginary, Nearly all I believed to be real, I thought grim and meaningless. And uh, he didn't know anything about this brain hemisphere stuff, but he actually put it in exactly that way. He was describing the difference between this left brain rationalistic, I've got it all, we've got all the answers, 
as compared, and we've all got right and left brains, for goodness sake, uh, the other one, the right side, which is open to imagination and, it, and and understands things in a completely different way. I mean, when you, you talk about, well, okay, so what are the practical take-homes? There's obviously loads we could say. Let me suggest a few things. Um, While you're doing that, just if you want to know more about the um, this left brain, right brain um, uh, understanding, um, Andy talks about it in, 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 in his book, as well as there's much more detail in Ian McGurkris' book called uh, The Master and His Emissary that goes into. But it's a very long and dense book. I, I, and if you want to know more, I'd, I'd suggest you read it in, in Andy's book, which simplifies it a, a lot more. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Um this is a plug for my book, I suppose. But when you get to chapter four, it it'll take you through it. I think, hopefully, in a in an, a digestible way. And actually, I'm just going to quote something from that section um, because in it, uh, there's an, <laughs> an even more well, in some way, well, just very different. Another amazing book by a woman called Jill Bolte Taylor, who was a neuroscientist herself, but experienced a catastrophic bleed in her brain, a stroke. And she lost the use of her left hemisphere. So she was left with this uh, no speech and all the rest of it. But what she discovered was the way in which the right hemisphere function was very empathic. It's the source of empathy and isn't full of all these anxious thoughts and lists and lists and lists and actually quite selfish and judgmental attitudes very much on the left. She learnt those again or learnt, as she you know, recovered her left hemisphere how that worked, she was able to, to work in both, as it were, which is unusual. But um, she then goes on to talks about how we can develop those ways in which in our society we don't, we're not very good at because we're so left brain orientated. We want to get control. We've got lists. We, and actually, no wonder we've got epidemics of anxiety and so on because that's where anxiety resides. So there's uh, n- lots of things you can do. You've probably heard about mindfulness and all that simply is doing is is not a- allowing all the cognitive wheels to be working, but simply to live in the present moment, paying attention in a right brain way to our body, our breathing, so in, in a non-judgmental way. And we talk about that on a podcast on discovering silence and solitude, where we go into that in a lot more detail. So, so it's tapping into it. So it all comes together in a way, doesn't it? And so there's very simple things we can do. Just um, take some time out. Just walk in the park. It's just a lie. I often find, actually, that um, I have a shower at night. So I'm often, often standing in the shower. And just because I'm just enjoying it in the moment, that's when things will pop into my mind. We all have those experiences. And uh, one of the ways that we can practice that discipline is to sit with somebody in conversation with whom you may not be completely in agreement, um, but you're having this conversation, but practice listening not jumping in with your own view because most of us listen in order to say something and uh various listen to music just um give space to those things that give uh your right brain time and space to slow down and And also as you said that i think it's also an antidote to a lot of anxiety and angst that we have in our world feeling that we have to achieve and get and get things to to be happy um one area I think which ties into this, you talk about moving from from primary uh, from primary loneliness to secondary loneliness, and that's quite a big. In a world where 
people, although we're so connected through technology, I, we seem to have an epidemic of loneliness as well. And this sense that I can feel disconnected from others and I can feel lonely because I'm not connected to people and wanting friendships, which is good, which is a good thing. But also there's an ability to be able to be at peace with, with oneself and with one's creator. Mm, just a couple of things on that. One was a, um, a study that some people did one time and they got individuals to sit in a simple plain room where there's nothing else going on and they asked them to sit on a chair for 15 minutes they certainly weren't allowed their smartphones or anything else and then they asked them at the end of it how did that go <clears throat> and they started off with students and they found that the majority of them said that i hated that it was terrible so okay so they then said right now um, let's just give you, we'll do it again, but this time we'll give you this little button to press. And this button gives you a mild electric shock. And they say to them, feel that, oh, that was painful. How much money would you uh, pay to not have that? Oh, five dollars was the average amount. So they, so they put them into this same place, 15 minutes, sitting on the chair, only their own thoughts to think about. But this time they had this buzzer that they could press uh, to give themselves an electric shot, I suppose, to relieve the boredom. And they found that um, a, a quarter of the women, I think, and two thirds of the men did use it. And one bloke pressed this bu buzzer, this button, 190 times in 15 minutes. Why? Because he just could not live just only him. with his own thoughts. I think of Pascal's quote from a few hundred years ago is that most of man's problems come because he's not able to sit quietly in, in a room by himself for half an hour. That's even longer. Yeah, exactly. And so the other the other thought is, is a man called uh, Henri Nouon, who was a, um, he's a psychiatrist, but he was a, a Roman Catholic priest as well. And he wrote a, a very, well, many very helpful books. But he, he talks in one of his books about what he calls a second loneliness. This is an extract from it. He says, uh, it's important to learn to move from a first loneliness to a second loneliness. The first loneliness is sort of emotional loneliness. You need friends, you need family, you need home. But when you satisfy all those needs, he says, you have to suddenly learn that there is another loneliness, a deep personal intimacy, and it's an intimacy that's very demanding. He ends up saying this particular loneliness uh, though challenging, sets me on the road to intimacy. It brings me closer to the source of love in the depths of my being. And I think what he's saying, I'm, I remember uh, reading that quote out to a group one time. One person said, wow, that was so meaningful. I really like that. Another person sitting next to them said, I have no idea what that's talking about. And I think that again reflects what we've been saying all along about the explicit and the implicit, the right, the left, and so on. And I think what he's saying from that is that we all have a need for connection, especially connection with people. And we know that relationships are at the heart of well-being, uh, certainly from that point of view. But he's saying even when that is largely satisfied or we're finding fulfillment in that, he says, hmm, there's a bit more beyond that. It's a little bit like we talk about longing and the quote you did from uh, C.S. Lewis. He calls that a second loneliness. And it's the kind of experience we have when there aren't any other people. It's not with reference to other people. But there's that 
what some people call the existential angst, meaning just the longing that's in our heart that even goes beyond even our personal human relationships into the whole domain that is other and beyond. Thank you so much, Andy. It's a huge subject, fascinating. And just to sort of bring it all together, really, a sense that from neuroscience, from our own personal experience, and even at the heart of the universe, it's, it would very much appear that we're made for a relationship. And while a relationship with, with people, with loved ones and family is, can be satisfying, ultimately, we're made for a relationship with, with our Creator. And that's where all those longings are fulfilled. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, you can get all the show notes for this episode from drsunil.com. And could you do us a favour? Head over to iTunes to rate the programme. This is by far the best way to get this content into the hands of those who need it most. Also, do you think about who you could pass details of the podcast on to? Don't forget to check out the blog for more great content. That's drsunil.com, helping you to make sense of life in a challenging and complex world. Until next time, goodbye for now.